Okay. We're going to um, start another series. Today. Um, let's turn to First Peter. First Peter four. Peter 4:12 Beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you Now the contemporary English version says Dear friends don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that is like walking through fire the God's Word translation says, Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery troubles that are coming in order to test you. Don't feel as though something strange is happening to you. The uh, new, I think it's a New Life version says, Dear friends, your faith is going to be tested as if it were going through fire. Do not be surprised at this. Now, um, you know, in, uh, in India, they have what's known as these sacred cows, and they worship them. They got people starving all over the place. But instead of seeing these cows as food and provision, they, they worship them, and they refuse to eat. They refuse to eat what could be a blessing to them. Uh, and God has given us his word to put us over in life, not to worship it. You know, some people just, you know, they worship the Bible, they put it under a glass case. Oh, we can't touch it. You know, the Bible's holy. You know, they, they don't believe it and they don't act on it. They just want to idolize it, you know. And uh, that's not, that's not what the, the words, uh, is not to be idolized. Uh, and there are scriptures and preconceived ideas that become a curse if people don't rightly divide the word. Now, uh, let's turn over to 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One translation says, uh, who correctly explains the word of truth. Uh, when the word of God is not rightly divided, 
The results are error and wrong believing, and what was meant to give victory now leads to defeat. Their Christian suffering because they believe God is teaching them through tests and trials, adversity, persecution, and sickness. They're deceived, and Satan has taken them captive at his will. Uh, verse 25 says, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So in regard to doctrine and Bible interpretation, error is the result of not rightly dividing the Word of God, not rightly interpreting it. We interpret Scripture with other Scripture. And what, we, what they believe as a result of this error usually works against them, and it puts them at a disadvantage because of their wrong believing. And the King James Version uses the word bondage. Uh, you could say disadvantage. That, that would be a more modern word, a disadvantage. Uh, for example, you know, the, uh, people will get on the teaching about women in the church. You know, certain denominations don't allow women to wear jewelry. They don't allow women to wear makeup. They don't allow women to cut their hair. They don't allow women to wear trousers. They don't allow women to preach. Uh, healing. You know, there are widely held beliefs that healing's passed away. It's God's will to heal some people, but not everybody. Uh, you know, widely held beliefs, tongues are of the devil, prosperities of the devil. All these beliefs uh, put people at a disadvantage. And who are they putting at disadvantage? They're putting the women at a disadvantage. They're putting the sick at a disadvantage. Uh, you know, you're at a disadvantage. If, you, if you're only limited to praying in English, you can only pray as far as your understanding and, and natural knowledge of the situation uh, extends, uh, you know, uh, it puts uh, people in financial problems uh, at a disadvantage. They wind up living in lack and doing without or just barely getting by. So the result of that, what causes this is not rightly dividing the Word of God. We won't turn there, but you can write down Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They're also destroyed for wrong knowledge. And he goes on to say, because thou has rejected knowledge. It's one thing to be ignorant because you've never heard, but it's another thing to be ignorant because you've heard and rejected it. Verse uh, 17 of... Uh, 2 Timothy 2. And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Underline that word, overthrow the faith of some. That is the result of erroneous teaching. The NIV says they destroy the faith of some. In regard to tests, trials, temptations, calamity, persecution, and the problems of life, this is one way Satan gains a foothold in people's lives 
by taking advantage of their ignorance or wrong believing. That's why we have, we teach the, the Word of God, amen? So that people are not ignorant and, uh, you know, we have an understanding of the Word of God. We know what belongs to us. We know the truth. So that when uh, tests and trials come, we, uh, we hold up the Word of God against those tests and trials. We, we, we can see from the Word of God this is not from God. This is from Satan. We're, we're proving with the Word of God because we know the Word. We know this test and trial and adversity is not from God. But if you don't know the Word, you don't know that. And that's why many people attribute tests and trials and problems and adversity from God. That God's sending this is because they don't know the Word. They're, they're at a disadvantage because they don't know the truth. So that's, that's why we're here. Verse 26. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Uh, these people who have wrong believing about women and healing and tongues and prosperity, they've been taken captive by Satan at his will. People who believe that God is sending tests, trials, accidents, sickness and problems to perfect their faith or teach them something are taken captive by the devil and their faith is overthrown. How can you possibly have faith? How can you possibly have faith if you believe all this is coming from God for whatever reason? You can't. You can't have faith. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Now verse 26 says, they can recover themselves out of the snare. So people can recover. They can recover from this lack of knowledge by instruction in the Word of God that is rightly divided, correctly explained, and by them receiving it to the acknowledging of the truth. In John 8, 31-32, uh, Jesus put it like this, If ye continue in my words, truly are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Everybody who has a Bible has the truth. But it's the truth that you personally know that makes you free. Um, you know, a lot of people, they got a Bible in every room. But, you know, it's not setting them free because they, they don't know. They don't know what's in it. Once you learn the truth, Satan can no longer take you captive at his will, and you can no longer be at a, at a disadvantage. Another problem that has contributed to wrong believing is the common mistake people make when they try to relate their life to things that happened in the Old Testament. People under the Old Covenant had virtually no revelation about Satan. Uh, God didn't reveal much to those people about Satan. You don't read much about Satan in the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, Satan had not been defeated in the Old Testament. I mean, he was running rampant. He was running rampant up and down this earth all through the Old Covenant, and it was only the people of God who kept the Word of God that they had protection from him. 
because they were not born-again people. Satan had not been defeated, and they had no authority over him. So um, uh, people, people, you know, if people today compare and try to explain their circumstances and their adversities in light of the Old Testament, it's wrong because we, we're born-again creatures. Jesus has defeated Satan. We're under a different covenant. Jesus has defeated Satan, and we have authority over him. That's a totally different uh, situation from people in the Old Testament. And then, and, and, you know, they believed everything that happened, it came from God. And there are many Christians today that still believe that. Just, you know, we don't know. God's ways are mysterious. Well, if you read the Bible, they're not so mysterious, you know. But if, if you're ignorant, yeah, they're, they're, they can be mysterious, you know. Uh, if you're going to train a child not to touch a hot burner, you instruct them with words. You know, it's hot, don't touch it. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take their hand over and say, okay, I'm going to teach you not to do this. You know, and you plant their hand down on the hot burner. That's not the way, that's child abuse. That's not instruction. But there are people that believe that about God. You know, he'll put you through the ringer and uh, put this, that, and the other through you, on you, to teach you something. That's not the way God teaches. God teaches with his word. He instructs with his word. Now, if you walk out of the room after you've instructed them not to touch that burner, if you walk out of the, the room and they touch that burner without you looking, is it your fault? No. Then why do people all constantly blame God for everything that happens in their lives? You know? You know, you told them what would happen if they disobeyed. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament when God told them certain things were going to happen to them if they didn't keep his word. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's move on here to um, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, let's turn over to Hebrews 11, verse 6. We're going to look at the source of tests and trials. The source of tests and trials. Hebrews 11, 6. This tells us something about the nature and character of God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Everybody say rewarder. Of them that diligently seek him. God is the rewarder. He's not the one who takes away. He's not the one who causes us problems in life. God is not the troublemaker. There's an undercurrent in religious circles, which many believe that tests, trials, problems in life are designed by God to make you stronger. Where's their scripture? Where's their scripture? If something's going to be scriptural, you've got to have scripture for it. They'll say, well, you know, God led 
Uh, and I've heard, even heard it preach, God led the children of Israel through the wilderness, you know, to perfect them. Uh, if that was true, you know, it, it, it's not true. God's will for the children of Israel was not to spend 40 years there. His will was to get out of there. <laughs> he was trying to get them out, not keep them there. They're the ones that, that, that wound up staying there as a result of their unbelief. Some suggest that the trials and tests of life make our faith stronger. Did it make Israel stronger? No. Oh, no, they died. Most of them died there. Hallelujah. God said, I've given you the promised land. Go in and possess it. They did not because they did not mix faith with what God said. Uh, look uh, just over the page there, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Does it say test and trials are the author and finisher of our faith? Sickness and disease is the author and finisher of our faith? No? Well, if, that, if that's true, then why didn't the Bible say it? At least one place. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, we won't turn there just for time's sake, but write down John 1. Verse 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that tells us that Jesus was the Word personified. Hebrews 12.2 tells us Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So you could say the Word is the author and finisher of our faith. We won't turn there, but write down Proverbs 10.22. Proverbs 10.22, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he brings tests and trials with it to teach you something. Is that what it says? No. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. God adds no sorrow to his blessings. Problems don't build your faith. Trials and troubles don't build your faith. It's God's word that will put the finishing touches on your faith. Now there, uh, there is a chastening of the Lord that is for your good. Now Hebrews 12 uh, 5 to 7 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now this is a passage that many people use, you know, to try to support that God's the one bringing you problems and, and this tri test and trial is God, uh, you know, chastening you and he's trying to perfect you and so forth. Well, the word chasten in the Greek means to train up a child, to train up a child. And we've already said, you don't train up a child by sticking their hands 
in on the hot oven. You know, you don't train up a child by sticking them out in the street and say, this is what happens to you if you stand out in the street and a car comes and, you know, runs over them. That's not the way you teach a child. We teach with words. Training as you would train a child is not implying that God is sending calamity to teach you something. That would be child abuse. The word chasten here in this passage is the very same word translated nurture in Ephesians 6.4 where it says, And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Very same word translated chasten. Uh, and in 2 Timothy 3.16, the very same word is translated instruct. Oh, okay, good. You're, you're in the spirit, right? <laughs> uh, instruct. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Very same word. I've so got a little note there called, in brackets, encouragement. Good. That's what that's about. Yeah, amen. Encouragement. If sickness and disease were sent by God to advance you spiritually or to make your faith stronger, then everyone who was more spiritual, you know, everyone would, uh, with, with sickness would be more spiritual and have greater faith. Well, that can't be the, the case. Then have, people who are sick would have greater faith than people who are well. That's not true. That couldn't be true. So God is not devising all kinds of calamity and trouble to give out to his children. It, you know, in the natural, if a court could prove that you made your child sick or that you, you know, uh, put something bad on them, they'd take you to court. You know, you know, you know, you'd be arrested. You go to jail for that. Uh, Charles Cap said, if God uh, was on the earth and he was accused of everything people accuse him of doing, he'd spend most of his time in prison. You know, because he gets accused of a lot of things that he had nothing to do with. First Timothy four one. Just write that down. First Timothy four one. In the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Charles Cap said, if anything comes close to a doctrine of devils, it's the idea that God is making you sick and causing you trouble. God and the devil have not changed places. In John 16, 13, Jesus said, how be it when the spirit of truth comes, he will teach you all things and he will lead and guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher, not the devil, not sickness. Uh, Matthew 6, 9 and 10. You can write that down. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer that Jesus prayed. It's one of the most profound scriptures in the Bible concerning God's will for the earth. Jesus prayed, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So 
If there's no, uh, is, you know, is there sickness in heaven? No. Then it must not be God's will on the earth. There's no lack in heaven. It must not be God's will on the earth. God's will for the earth is that we have what is already being experienced in heaven. <clears throat> now one day God's going to move heaven to earth. But in the meantime, we have the power and authority in the name of Jesus to change things here on the earth. And, and that's, that's what we have that people in the Old Testament did not have. In verse 13, of Matthew 6, Jesus said, Pray that you won't be led into any way, that you won't in any way be tempted, tested, or tried. Then he said, Deliver us from evil. So Jesus is calling temptations, tests, and trials evil. This word evil in the Greek means anything that is full of destruction, disaster, harm, or danger. It includes not only that which is dangerous to the physical body, but also that which is dangerous to the spirit or mind. God is not confused about what is good and what is evil. These temptations, tests, and trials that come against us are not designed for any good. And they're not a blessing in disguise. Amen? Don't fall for that either. If Jesus said, pray that you be not led into temptation, then it can't be God that's putting the temptation, test, or trial on you. Why would he send a test and trial to you and then Jesus pray, deliver us from evil? So he, can't, he couldn't put it on you and then turn around and deliver you from it. It can't be that way. So God didn't send it. Satan sent it. Satan is not working for God. He's not on God's uh, payroll. He's self-employed. You know, some people say, well, God may not do it, but, but he'll, he'll get the devil to do it. The devil's not working for God. I mean, he is self-employed. He will come without an invitation. You know what I mean? He will just come. So, Satan created the trial and he didn't create it to make you stronger. He created it to see what you're going to do. He created it to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why he, he creates it. That's why he brings it. God knows what you'll do. God knows you're capable of standing. Satan doesn't know what you're going to do. He wants to find out. Are you going to stand on the word? Are you going to throw in the towel? Are you going to give up first? Or is he going to give up first? Who's, who's going to give up first? He is. Amen. Hallelujah. So it could be a promise of God in the written word. It could be instructions or directions from God. Whatever it is, when you begin to act on that word, you become dangerous to Satan and his activity. Because you're a believer with authority on the earth. You take the word of God like the sword of the spirit. You have the name of Jesus. And you begin to interfere and interrupt and stop his activities in your life and your territory. Amen? Amen. 
And he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want to give up any ground in your life. His only hope is to stop you from operating in God's principles. That's why Peter said in our text scripture, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials because that's what Satan's out to do. That's his job description. So don't think it's a strange thing. Bring, uh, you know, that's what he's out to do is bring the fiery trials to stop you before you put it to work or once you've already put it to work. Satan is not your teacher. He is your adversary and your enemy. Now, uh, I read a, uh, a survey taken at one point. These people all call themselves Christians. I don't know how many people they surveyed. But you know, just because somebody self-identifies as a Christian doesn't make them a Christian. But these people uh, call themselves Christians. 40% strongly agree that Satan is not a living being, but only a symbol of evil. An additional 19% said they agree somewhat with that perspective. That means essentially six out of 10 Christians in this survey don't believe that the enemy is even real, much less that he is out to destroy their lives. Would you say they're at a disadvantage? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd say they're at a huge disadvantage. They're on the devil's menu. He's out to destroy you. He's out to steal the word of God. It's the devil sending fiery trials. Now let's look uh, at a few minutes at how the devil operates. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 2. We're getting equipped. Amen. Amen. We're learning about our weapons and how to use them. And we're learning about the enemy. You know, in sports... I don't know if they use it so much here or not. I guess they do, but you know they'll they'll go to uh, opponents that they know they're going to play, and they'll watch their games and they'll video them, and then they'll, they'll show the video to the players. So it's to help them get an idea of the opponent's strategy. You know, this is what they like to do. This is this is their game plan, and then they can begin to form a plan. This is how we're going to stop them. So. Um, we're getting in on Satan's game plan here so we, we can learn how to stop him. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan is constantly looking for ways to take advantage of people. Uh, if Satan was all-powerful like God, which he's not, a lot of people think Satan is all-powerful like God. He's definitely not. He's a defeated foe. Jesus has completely stripped him of all his power. That's why he has to rely on fear and deception to get anywhere with people. If he had any power, he'd just knock every airplane out of the sky out there right now. You know, he'd just crash every car out there on the A3. He doesn't have that power. He can't do it. Uh, the word advantage here in 2 Corinthians 2.11 means uh, to outwit, to trick, to take advantage of someone through some sneaky means. Uh, it's uh, two words put together that means to have more. To have more. 
It denotes a desire to have more and more and more. Satan is never satisfied. He wants more and more and more. It describes someone whose lust for something is so intense that he will take any actions required to obtain what he wants. And when you have an enemy that hates you this much, you cannot afford to be ignorant. You need to know if the storm you are facing is just a natural problem that will blow over, or if you're facing demonic turbulence sent from hell to, to dis disrupt God's plan for your life. So you can't just shut your eyes and just hope, you know, the problem works out and he just goes away. If this is an attack of the devil and you do nothing to stop it, it will not simply go away. On the contrary, it will increase and become more intense. That's why, you know, when people get under pressure and they're, you know, the devil's pressuring them or he puts so much fear in them, you know, to, to give in and, and you know, uh, do something. They say, okay, I'll just give in this one time. It'll, be, it'll all be over with and he'll just leave me alone. No, it doesn't work that way. He comes back even more intense the next time. He's not going to leave you alone just because you, you give in. That gives him a signal, aha, I got somewhere here. Let's, let's double it up, you know. He has no mercy. When you, when you agree with him and give in to what he's pressuring you to do, he doesn't just go away and leave you alone. Now the word ignorant in this, word, in this verse, for we're not ignorant of his devices. It refers to one's ignorance or lack of certain facts. It also includes making mistakes or errors due to a lack of understanding. It describes an uneducated person who, due to a lack of knowledge, is prone to arrive at mistaken conclusions. This is where we get the word agnostic. This Greek word that's uh, translated ignorant, we get the word agnostic, used to describe individuals who claim they don't know what they believe. Now in Matthew's uh, account of the sower sows the word, Matthew 13, just, you can just write that down, Matthew 13, 19. This is a way, he, he, he uh, says it a little bit different from Mark's account of the sower sows the word. Matthew says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Need to write that down. And understandeth it not. Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. So when, when people hear the word and they don't understand it, it gives Satan, then Satan can come steal the word out of their heart. If you don't understand that what is coming against you is from Satan and not from God, you won't resist it. And this is where many Christians are being defeated. Satan will continue to steal, kill, and destroy. An example of this kind of ignorance is when a person believes that sickness is from God and they mistakenly conclude it is God's will for their life. They're ignorant that it's Satan 
and not God, who is the author of sickness and disease. They're not going to resist it because they think it is of God. And this ignorance could result in their premature death. Now the word uh, devices here, uh, the word devices in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, uh, it's translated uh, from the Greek word which means to exercise the mind. To exercise the mind. In other words, you could say mind games. That's how Satan operates with mind games. It describes a, a mind that is scheming, calculating, conniving, devious, shrewd, sly, or clever. Satan isn't just hoping to hinder us. He's scheming and conniving to injure or deliberately mess up a person's plans, health, marriage, business, and family. The word here translated uh, devices describes Satan's insidious, malevolent plot to attack and victimize human beings. Can you see how important it is not to be ignorant or in the dark about the devil and how he operates? The more understanding you have, the more difficult it's going to be for him to get anywhere with you and to take advantage of you, and the less likely you are to fall prey to him. Can you see that? Amen? Now let's turn over to uh, 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Um, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, this doesn't say he devours everyone he seeks. Uh, we've already seen in that survey, six out of ten people in that survey that call themselves Christians are prime candidates to be devoured because Satan has the advantage over them because they're ignorant of his devices. They're not being sober and vigilant. They don't even believe that Satan is real. Uh, you know, and if they even come through this test and trial, they'll be the first one saying, why did God let this happen to me? Could it be? They're ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, um, two Greek words in the New Testament translated adversary. This one uh, was used in New Testament times for a lawyer who argued in a court of law. A prosecutor, or you, I guess here you would say a barrister, uh, who prosecutes an offender brought to court, argued vehemently against them, and then sent them off to prison. 
That's the word translated adversary. Peter is using this word to depict the way the devil may try to overtake us. The enemy drags up facts from the past. Then he tries to convince you that you deserve to be in the mess you're in. If the devil is successful in his prosecution, he will persuade you that you're unrighteous, unworthy, and you deserve the just punishment or difficulties he's throwing your way. Sometimes believers assist the devil in his prosecution against them by being irresponsible or negligent. That's true. Sometimes, you know, uh, the devil doesn't, is not responsible for everything. Sometimes we open the door, perhaps through our ignorance. We open the door to him unknowingly in ways, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, bad decisions, bad choices, things like that. Uh, one of the major indications that uh, believers are growing spiritually and they're maturing is when they begin to take personal responsibility for their conduct, their behavior, their decisions, and they stop blaming other people for it. That's one of the, the, the major indications that people are growing up spiritually and they're maturing in the Lord. But we're talking about tests and trials that Satan brings against us. He remembers every innocent mistake made along the way and like a barrister or an adversary, he comes to accuse you. Isn't he called the accuser of the brethren? Revelation? I think 12. I've got it written down somewhere. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Yeah. That's his job description. That's why he's called, you could say, the prosecutor. And he'll prosecute you in your mind. Uh, Jerry Savelle says, Satan attacks Christians on two occasions, when they're right and when they're wrong. <laughs> so he doesn't need a reason. You know, he'll just invite himself. So don't invite him, okay? I mean, he'll just, he'll just, uh, he'll just in invite him himself. Especially when you get on the Word. When you get on the Word, you know, he's going to turn up. Now, this word devices uh, gives us some insight into Satan's job description. Uh, the word devil in the English translation uh, is the Greek word diabolos. Uh, and it appears uh, 61 times in the New Testament. Uh, you know, how do you suppose someone whose name appears 61 times in the New Testament could have been completely ignored by most churches throughout recent centuries. This is how, by successfully convincing the church world that God was the source of their problems and adversity, the devil avoided all the negative attention and continued to operate behind the scenes, continuing his spree of killing, stealing, and destroying. It also explains why six out of 10 of those people in that survey don't even believe that he exists. Now this word diabolos gives you the job description of Satan. It means 
to throw, to throw something and to penetrate. To penetrate all the way through, to throw something over and over and over till it has completely penetrated through. And that's what he tries to do in your mind. He throws thoughts at you over and over and over till he can eventually get you to accept those thoughts. Could you please give us the spelling of that word? Yeah. Uh, D-I-A-B-A-L-O-S. D-I-A-B-A-L-O-S. Dia, that portion of the word means to penetrate. Balos means to throw like a rock or a ball. And this is one of the strategies in a test and trial. He wants to gain access to your mind and he will throw thoughts at you over and over and over uh, trying to set up a stronghold in there. Fear, worry, doubt, false accusations. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if this doesn't happen? You'll never get the money. You're going to die. What are those people going to think about you? God is a God of affliction. You've heard that one, haven't you, Anne? You heard that lie from the devil, didn't you? God is a God of affliction. Actually, what we're talking about now, I, I have been going through that for the last six months. Well, that's one fashion after another. Even down to me getting knocked over and I walked through the door here. Well, it's coming to an end. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I know it's not God. I love him. Yeah. I know he loves me. Yeah. Amen. Well, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. So that's why we need to talk about these things. Amen? That all sounds familiar. He will continue to throw these thoughts at your mind over and over and if you do nothing to stop it and you believe these lies, he will begin to control and manipulate you. The devil uses tests, trials, and temptations to convince you it is not God's will for you to have what God's word says belongs to you. He desperately wants to convince you to settle for less than God's best in life. And because and Christians who do not know this, that is what they usually do. If they even attempt to step out on faith, they'll go a little while, and when the pressure gets so intense on them, they throw in the towel and they say, well, I guess it just wasn't God's will for us to have that. Baloney. I hate to leave you hanging there, but how you stop these attacks is another sermon. But I can tell you this much. Jesus shook Satan's kingdom beyond repair with three words. It is written. Amen? You got to cast down those imaginations. You, you don't entertain them. You don't let them just keep throwing that ball in your mind. You got to run him out. Amen? And uh, you, you run him out with the word. And Gloria Copeland says, if you invite the devil for dinner, he'll bring his pajamas. <laughs> you know, he, he wants to stay. You, I mean, you just give him a foothold in the door, and it is hard to get rid of him. Hallelujah. Uh, let's just 
give me just, you got just another few minutes here. We're just going to finish, uh, we'll just finish, or we'll just start this little bit, and we'll take up here next time. John 10, verse 10. Let's just look at what uh, Jesus said about Satan. John 10, verse 10. You know when John, we won't turn there, but John 8, 44, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of all lies. So whatever he's, first of all, you've got to recognize it's him pounding your mind with these thoughts over and over. You know, and then you've got to recognize these are, these are lies. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, um, John 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus refers to Satan as the thief. Now this verse is the dividing line of the Bible. This is how we can de determine what's of God and what's of the devil. Jesus said Satan is a thief. Jesus didn't say the devil came to perfect the church. He didn't say the devil came to perfect your faith or to make you more like Jesus. If that was the case, wouldn't have Jesus said it at least once? Satan came for only three real reasons, to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. Now the word thief here is the Greek word klepto. And it's where we get the English word kleptomaniac. You know what a kleptomaniac is, don't you? Some, uh, it's a thief, a, a habitual thief. It's a picture of a bandit, pickpocket, or thief who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are almost undetectable. A real professional pickpocket, man, I mean, they can walk past somebody and it's gone. You know what I mean? And you don't even know it till 30 minutes later and you get to the restaurant and you're ready to pay for your lunch or something, you know? Satan will inject thoughts into your mind to steal your peace, joy, and even your beliefs. Klepto describes a thief's uncontrollable urge to get his hands into someone's pocket so he can take that which does not rightfully belong to him. A kleptomaniac is a person with a persistent neurotic impulse to steal. And Satan's very nature is to uh, steal. This is a nature and behavior of the thief Jesus told us about. Not only does this thief, the thief come to steal, but Jesus said he also comes to kill. Now the Greek word translated kill in this verse doesn't mean kill like murder somebody. That's not what the, the word kill here means. It has nothing to do with killing in terms of murder. Uh, it means to sacrifice. It originally referred to the sacrificial giving of animals on the altar. The Greek word T-H-U-O. It could mean to sacrifice, to surrender, or to give up something that is precious and dear. 
Because Jesus uses this word to describe the work of the thief in John 10, verse 10, he's telling us that if the thief hasn't already walked away with everything we hold precious and dear, if he hadn't stole it from us, then he will try to convince us that we need to give it up. Give up, give up, give up. Surrender what he hasn't already taken from us. The thief cannot stand the fact that you possess any kind of blessing. Therefore, if he is unsuccessful at stealing the good things from your life, he will try to cunningly convince you to give up everything you possess in love simply because he doesn't want you to have it. And here again, People say, well, if it was God's will, it would have happened, and it didn't happen, so I guess it wasn't God's will. What have they done? They have just surrendered whatever they were holding precious and dear, and they let the devil kill it. He may even try to create stressful situations that cause you to, cause you to conclude that your only solution is to surrender the things you dearly love. Then Jesus, lastly, uh, he's talking about Satan's job description here, stealing, killing, trying to get you to give up everything you hold dear, give up the word, give up your dreams, give up his plan for your life. He then refers uh, to Satan's job description. He comes to destroy. Now the word destroy is from the Greek word Apollomai, and I believe it's over in Revelation. Uh, one, you know, there's several Greek words translated Satan or devil, uh, and one of them, Apollyon. Satan is referred to Apollyon over in uh, Revelation, and I think this is where that word ap Apollomai comes from. It means to destroy. Satan is the destroyer. That's another one of his job descriptions. It carries the idea of something that is ruined, wasted, trashed, devastated, and destroyed. He wants to ruin or destroy your faith. He wants to ruin or destroy your testimony. He wants to ruin or destroy your reputation. He wants to ruin or destroy your dreams. By using this word, we discover that if the thief is unsuccessful in his attempts to steal from you or convince you to sacrifice and surrender everything you hold dear, if he can't, do, if he can't steal it and he can't get you to surrender it and give it up, he will settle for just ruining it. He just, if he can't steal it, if he, if he can't get you to give it up, then he'll try to ruin He'll just try to ruin it. Make no mistake, the enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you. Satan uses tests and trials to steal God's word from you. Everything God says in his word that belongs to you. They are designed to get you out of the game of life and to render you ineffective against his operations and plans. Now, I'll just share a... a couple of last things here uh, with you. The word tempt or test uh, or trial 
in the Greek uh, New Testament, it means to put to the test, tempt. So when you see temptation, it can also mean test and trials. So it's not just temptation to do something bad. It, it also includes test and trials. To test something to see if its quality is really as good as it claims. Does it live up to its claims? Uh, you know, you, you take like a test pilot that, uh, you know, they test these airplanes. Uh, you know, they want to put them to extreme conditions, you know. Uh, will, it, will it really go as fast as the manufacturer claims it will? You know, race cars or whatever, bats in race cars. They have test drivers, I'm sure. Uh, do that, do, will this car really claim up to what the builders say it will do? They put it to the test. And Satan is putting your faith to the test. Will, uh, will your faith pass the test? You know, uh, God knows you're capable of passing the test. He knows you can stand. Satan's the one that is testing you to find out is your faith really what you claim it to be? Is your faith really the God kind of faith? That's what he's out to do. God has equipped us to stand and not fall. He has equipped us with his word, his name, his authority, his faith, his spirit, angelic help to overcome. Why would he test us just to find out if we really can? He already knows it's Satan that's testing us. Satan's the one who wants to find out if you will stand or if you will give up in his test and trials. Now, just one other thing I'll share with you. Um, also about some characteristics, uh, some other names for Satan throughout the Bible. In uh, Psalm 91, he's called the fowler. You know, Psalm 91, God will deliver us from the fowler's snare and from the noisome pestilence. Uh, in other translations, it uses the word hunter. Other translations say the hunter's trap. That describes Satan. In Matthew 13, 4 and 19, uh, Satan is described as fowls or birds. You know, these are they, so, uh, the sower sows the word, these are they scattered by the wayside who heard the word and the birds came and ate it up. So he's described as a devourer, birds that devour or eat up. John 10 verse 12, he's described as a wolf. 1 Peter 5, 8, we've already read that one, uh, a roaring lion. Revelation 12 and Revelation 20, he's referred to as a serpent and a dragon. It's certain that every religion, doctrine, and experience among men cannot be of God. We must therefore judge them by the plain written word of God. The knowledge of truth is the first essential in warfare against demons and error. Amen? Hallelujah.